You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Um, so I've been married for 20 years. My wife is Nikki. I've got my family sitting on the front row here. Uh, we've been married for 20 years. I've uh, been dating for 27 years. That makes me pretty old. Uh, we started dating when we were 15. Can you believe that? Uh, it's, it's been an amazing journey. We have three beautiful kids. Uh, my oldest is Olivia. She is 13. My son is Levi. He is 11. And my youngest is Violet. And she is 7. And they are amazing. Um, so this is, yeah, a first-time experience and, and even a, a special honor for me uh, to be doing it in front of the people that I love. Um, what I feel like God wants to do tonight is he wants me to contextualize some things for you. Um, there are a lot of terms that are kind of thrown out, uh, and, I, and, and we just kind of blow past them sometimes. And I think this is a chance for us tonight to go a little bit deeper into some understanding. Uh, some of the things that we talk about, you, see, you hear preached about up here, is pressing into God. Uh, we want more of him that's in our songs. We want to give it all to him. I think these are great concepts. I think we desire passionately to, to have more of Jesus, but we don't necessarily know what it looks like to get there and what that journey like, looks like. So uh, tonight I'm going to talk about journey to wholeness but this is not the seminar that we actually provide. This is about uh, this uh, journey to become more Christ-like. So we can call this spiritual journey. I think in some denominations, we might call it uh, sanctification. You might have even heard a term at some point called entire sanctification. And what that means is that we are formed into God's image, and he has created something new in us. And as we go through life, we are displaying more and more and more of him as he teaches us. Um, so tonight, what, I, what I'm going to do when I describe this journey to wholeness, I'm going to describe it from a spiritual perspective and a mental health perspective. Um, I am a counselor by profession. Um, I'm going to put that lens on it. I, I believe that it blends really well, and you'll hear more about that part of my story in a little bit, um, but that's, that's the avenue that I'm going to go. And so once we kind of get an overview of this journey to wholeness, um, we're going to dive deeper into one of the stops along the way that I think is really important to understand. So... Uh, I think it's also important to understand that in this journey of wholeness, when we accept Christ, that we are saved by his grace, that there is nothing that we can actually do but receive uh, him in order, to, uh, uh, in order to be saved. And so this isn't a works-based uh, uh, performance that we're on to become whole. This is a grace uh, walk that we're taking with Jesus. So uh, to put this into context, I'm going to talk about uh, the Barna Group. It's, I'm going to geek out just for a minute. Uh, I'll hold your attention here. But, but the Barna Group actually does research um, about, um, well, they just do research over what this Christian walk actually looks like. And they surveyed 15,000 people um, across the United States, and they wanted to understand what does it look like uh, to become whole. And um, so I'm going to ask the first slide to come up here. And this first slide probably demonstrates my, most of my understanding my whole life all the way up until maybe the last uh, few years. So uh, if you read with me here, uh, the, 
stop number one is that there is an ignorance of sin. We have no idea that there's sin. Number two is that we are aware that there's sin, but we're kind of indifferent to it. Number three is that we're concerned about sin. Number four is that, uh, stop four, is that we confess our sins and ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And then step five, stop five, is a commitment to faith activity. So we actually get involved with church. Now, this is the entirety of my understanding for most of my life, is that this is what the process looked like. I mean, I, I hear these concepts, we want more of Jesus, but this probably encapsulates most of my understanding. And um, I would say, or actually George Barna says, that this represents 89% of the population. It's that they're, they're somewhere on these five steps, 89%. So uh, I'm going to, you can bring that slide down. I'm going to um, talk a little bit more about my story. I'm going to give you some testimony here. Um, but, and I'm going to refer to a few scriptures throughout tonight. Uh, you don't have to flip there. I'm just going to read just little snippets for you. Um, but, but Revelations 12:11 says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So there is something important about testimony. And I am a, a believer in testimony because I believe that when we talk about our stories and what God has done in us and through us, it actually increases the faith of the people that we tell it to. So I think it's a very vital point uh, or, or, or thing that we're to do in our Christian walk to help other people along with their journey as well. So exactly 10 years ago from this month, uh, I was working at Albertsons. I was in finance. My wife was in finance as well in a different part of the company. We were both working there. We had uh, two kids. We were Christians. We were attending church regularly. We were, um, by all means, just kind of just doing the normal Christian American life and kind of building an empire along the way. We we're getting a house and getting cars and everything else that kind of goes with that story. And, um, and it, it was fine. It was fine. Uh, what I didn't know at the time was that God was, he had a different plan for me. He was actually going to take me in a different direction, a radically different direction, and I had no idea that it was coming. Uh, exactly 10 years ago right now, um, I had a friend come to me, and he said, hey, I want you to go to this seminar, but I'm not going to tell you anything about it. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to a seminar where you didn't know anything about it, but it kind of freaked me out. Um, I didn't know what to think. My mind's kind of going crazy. I was, I was a bit fearful. I didn't know, you know what they were going to do, what they were going to say. Like, I just didn't know anything about it. And what I was really worried about is that I had maybe some things that I didn't want to uncover. That deep inside, I knew there were areas of my life that I did not like and did not want to look at. And I even remember as we were, uh, let me back up. My wife, unbeknownst to me, signs us up. And I wasn't too happy about that. In fact, I was kind of angry about it. And get this, this is the real kicker. It cost $1,000 to go. $1,000 times two people. $2,000. I'm invested, and I don't really want to go to this thing. And I'm kind of, I have a few choice words about it, but I'm not happy about it. 
So $2,000, and we're committed to going. And I remember on our way there, when we're pulling out of the driveway, um, I said to my wife, I said, you know, the thing that scares me about this is that it's like opening up Pandora's box. Like, you're going to open this up, and like all of this stuff, I don't even know what's in there, is going to come out, and it ain't going to be pretty, and I just don't, I don't like that feeling. Uh, the other thing is, is that I already kind of knew, and maybe I didn't have any language for this, but I had all of my protective systems in place to keep me safe. Like, I knew how to keep distance from certain people, from letting them see certain things about me that I didn't want them to see. And so if, if we were to expose some of those things, then it would make me feel vulnerable. Um, but as I'm looking back, probably the thing that I, I didn't realize then, but I, I realize now, is that I was actually spiritually discontent. And I was probably discontent in a lot of different ways. Number one, I was in a job, I was making great money, I was climbing the corporate ladder, and I wasn't happy. I didn't like it, I didn't feel like I had purpose in it. Um, I, it just, to further my career in that, or get additional education, just seemed like a total bore, and I just didn't like that. I would say spiritually, the discontentment was that I had been walking this road uh, of Christianity for quite a long time, I accepted Christ a long time ago, and I didn't really... I didn't really know God the way that I know him today. I would tell you then that I probably never heard God's voice or felt an impression or, or, or didn't know anything other than I was walking in this faith journey just from my mind knowing that, um, that I'm saved but not knowing at, at my core uh, that Jesus existed and that he was real and that he loves me. So uh, I went to the seminar, and, and the, the thing about this seminar, we, we went through different things, and, and I was able to start looking at some of these little black boxes and uncovering them and, and working on them. And I think the thing that I walked away with most from this seminar was a curiosity that, that, I, that has carried with me. This curiosity had it so that uh, every time... Um, I identified a stone in my life that had, had been um, suppressing something. I, I turned it over, and I was able to start looking at it and working through the different things in my life um, that have been holding me back in life. Um, the other thing that it did was it, it started to open up a pathway. When I started going into my brokenness, it started to open up a pathway where I felt like I could start hearing God, not in the audible way, but like where like I actually heard like the impressions in my prayers uh, about what he was telling me. And it was like, holy cow, for 33 years, I'm 43 today, for 33 years, I had not had any kind of experience whatsoever with God where I just felt like just, just even a little bit with God that, that I could hear him or his voice. So it started to open up that path for me. Um, and, and as I started to walk into that um, brokenness and uncertainty and, and I started to experience God more and more, um, I remember just a couple months after the seminar, uh, it was March of 2009, um, I was in the shower, I was praying, and I, I remember saying, God, if you ask me to do something, I will do it. Now, how many of you know that... When you challenge God, you're on the wrong end of that deal. And, and, like, 
Me standing here is a byproduct of being on the wrong end of that deal. That he was going to start challenging me as I could take it. And uh, I remember just maybe a couple months, you know, a few things happened. But a couple months after that prayer, um, I was asked to give my testimony at a Pentecost service. Uh, It was on a a Saturday night. It was about uh, a group this size. And I, I gave my testimony for the first time. And that is when I met Robin Verner, Pastor Robin. And I remember right after I gave my testimony, she came up to me and she's like, who are you? Like, that was so amazing. If you know Pastor Robin, like, she makes you feel like, like you're the only one in the room and extremely important. And um, that's when our relationship started to form. And my journey started to continue with uh, God challenging me and different things. But what I didn't realize at the time was that he was preparing me for the biggest challenge, the most radical dependence on him just nine months after I had started that process in that seminar back in 2009. Um, In September of 2009, my wife and I, like I said, we were working at Albertsons, and both of our bosses came to us independently and said, hey, your job is moving to Minneapolis. Would you like to go with it? So what this means is either you move or you don't have any job. We went to coffee um, right after that, and within about 30 minutes, we decided we're not moving. We have no family here, but we decided we're not moving. And, and that was a huge step of faith for us, a huge radical dependence. Because right back then, if you recall, was the economy was in a downturn. Um, there weren't a lot of jobs available. And um, we didn't have any backup plan. Like, this is, this is a bad deal. So, so um, that was the radical dependence. Um, we lost our careers. We had two kids and one on the way all going into unemployment. My wife actually didn't work for an entire year. I didn't work because I decided, I had this bright idea, I'm going to go back to school on something that I have nothing or know nothing about called counseling. And I started go getting a master's. So as our savings is depleting and debt is increasing, like these aren't good equations, right? So, but... But God's provision through that was amazing. I, could, I can't tell you all the different ways that God had provided in an amazing way in, in the ways that we least expected it. I just remember there was a time probably in uh, June of 2010 um, where we had gotten a check in the mail from our previous employer. And it was something that we did not expect. And it just showed up right at the right time. Uh, to pay our bills, but there's so many moments where it was scary and it was uncertain, and God provided, and it was it was amazing. Um, exactly three years after I started that seminar, so seven years ago now, I had a spiritual encounter with God, where I experienced His love in a way that I had never known to exist. Now, we were faithfully going to church and all that kind of stuff. 
this was not in church. I did not know that it existed. I had no context for it. Um, I've never even heard anybody talk about it. I never heard a pastor mention anything like this. And I simply had a shoulder injury, and I was praying about it. And in the midst of my prayer, it was like the heavens opened up, and God dropped down, and it was so overwhelming. And I seriously have no words to put to it. But what happened was I experienced this profound love of the Father. I had no idea it was coming, and I wasn't searching. And, and he showed up in that moment and met me in such a tangible way that it changed me forever. That, like, my idea of God shifted. It went from knowledge and faith to a reality that he is real. Like, like everything about my life shifted just from that one experience. The experience is great. I, I had never experienced it since. I, I remember for three days I was overcome with emotion. Like, I was, like the waves of his love just kept coming over me, and I'm like crying, and I'm looking at my wife, and I'm like, what's happening? Like, this is just unbelievable. And I remember I was at church three days later, and they were singing one of the worship songs, How He Loves by David Crowder, and the, the lines in there is, he is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And like I'm like, you know, you can't write a song like that unless you've experienced something like that. Like, I'm, like my, my mind is open, like, Holy cow, all these songs that we are actually singing, like people are singing this from a place of knowing, like this is more confirmation of things that I didn't have any understanding for. You know, the people that I were around, when I would explain it, nobody could relate to it. I mean, it just caused me to go on this journey with God where I just wanted to seek him more in different ways. So I experienced that profound love. And the other thing that it did in me is it shifted. I was actually... Um, doing counseling at the time, it shifted the way that I even did counseling because now that I know the love of the Father, I was actually able to love the unlovable in a different way. The people who were broken around me, I could actually see differently beyond their pain into who they are and call that out in them and help them get to a place of healing. And and like my heart was changed and 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 I and I was I was even, you know, I, I felt compassion for them in a different way. And so I experienced a profound compassion and a love for humanity. So this kind of brings me to Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37. It says, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, like, first love the Lord and then love your neighbor. I think there's a, there's a method to this. Like, perhaps I can't love the unlovable until I know the Father's love. Like, you know, because I thought, well, maybe love your neighbor and then love God like God's the most important. No, no, no. No, until you know me, you can't do what I'm asking you to do, right? So, like, that, that, 
that verse makes so much more sense to me now. So I want to bring you to the next slide here. If we've got somebody on that. Um, so this is the next stops. According to George Barna, who does, it, does this research, we have stop six, which is spiritually discontent. I told you, I, I didn't have language for it at the time, but I wasn't happy. Um, we have personal brokenness. I went into some areas where I had been avoiding, and God was able to meet me there in my brokenness, in my shame or unworthiness, and, and he started to um, do a different work in me. Stop eight, full surrender, radical dependence. He was working me towards something where I would step out in faith in order to follow him. And by doing that, I could experience a profound love and intimacy with God so that I could love humanity. Now, I think the natural tendency for Christians, and I would even say society as a general, will, in general, will look at this in a, in a very linear path, like, like we look at things in a two-dimensional way where we say, okay, I, I, I went through that stop, now I'm here, now I'm done with that, now I'm done with that, now I'm done with that, and I don't believe that God is confined by a timeline or time. I believe, I believe he, he works a little bit differently. Like this is maybe the best that we can do in trying to explain what's happening, but I don't think it's the full picture of what's happening. And I think this is important because if we don't understand where we are, we won't know where we're going either. So the way that I experience it, and I'm not saying I'm right, but this is just the way that I experience it, is that I move through this path, and I'm in my brokenness, and I move to my dependence, and then I move to the profound love, and, and then I'm down this path, and then God says, hey, Johnny, we got to go touch on that other thing that we didn't touch on yet. Because in order to get there, you've got to go here. So I go back into my brokenness. He shows me some new things. And then we start moving again along this path. And, and that seems to be this, this process that I'm going through. Because what I can handle at 43, I may not have been able to handle at 33. Right? He has to show me things in, my, in his timing so that... I can be ready, and I won't be overwhelmed by it, and, and he can reveal a new, uh, his nature in me in a different way. We can take down that slide. So I want to I I spend some time going into that, that personal brokenness, because I think this is a really important step, and I think it's misunderstood. I think we don't know how to handle it, and, I, and my hope is, is that I can give you some practical tools here so that you can progress down this path. The thing about personal brokenness is that the most seasoned Christians will not progress into that step and move beyond it. The most seasoned Christians won't. Most people will, will look at it and even face it and say, that's not for me. That's actually too dangerous, and I'm not willing to go there. That's what most Christians will do, because it's not worth it. And in fact, get this, I've been a Christian my whole life, and that's brokenness, and 
you know what? I'm actually okay not going to church anymore. I'm a Christian. Like, I know I'm saved. Church isn't for me. That's okay. And so they actually back off on that. Not many Christians will go beyond that. In fact, the, the last few steps, uh, and the, the last two steps in particular, 0.5% and 0.5% of the population will actually get there. Normal Christianity is the fifth step. But when, we, when we're a people who are pressing into God and we want revival and we want to be healed and we want to pursue him and we want all of him and he can have it all, there's some brokenness we probably have to deal with. So I want to talk a little bit about personal brokenness. Um, it was a year after I went to the seminar. Uh, I remember God said, hey, Johnny, uh, remember the big one? We've got to go back there. It's like, Lord, I don't know about that. He's like, no, no, we, we do. You can trust me. And, and I had faith. I'm like, okay. So I go back to it. This happens to be the most traumatic experience that I've had. I would, if by all characterizations, I would even say the most evil experience that I've had. And I did not find God anywhere in that. And he brought me back to it. And he said, you know, and he, he just kind of showed me, he's like, I didn't want you to go through that. I cried with you while it was happening. And I walked you out of it. And, and, and it started to shift the way that I started to look at that experience just on a dime. It just shifted the way that I looked at that experience. It didn't change that it happened. It didn't change that it hurt. But my perspective shifted because I allowed God to take me to the deeper broken places that I wasn't willing to go to before. There's a few verses I just want to hit on real quick. Um, Luke 5, 31 through 32, it says, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Psalms uh, 34, 17 through 18. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then finally, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I, I look at those scriptures differently now. I kind of viewed those maybe maybe pre-salvation or, you know, just baby Christian type thing. But I look at it now and, and I see, no, 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 he's, he's really saying, you know, I know you've been walking with me and you're still carrying this brokenness and you're still dragging these chains behind you, these, 
these weights behind you and it's slowing you down and I'm here to help you with that. So that's my perspective. Now from a professional perspective, from a counseling perspective, uh, I want to share some things with you that I've observed along the way about this journey to wholeness. So the bravest thing that we can do is to step into our brokenness and face the difficulties associated with it. Because I think God is wanting to do a work in us, but he is waiting for us to give him permission. He's not going to force his way in. He's waiting for us and saying, okay, Kim, when are you going to do this? When, when are you ready? I'm patient. I'll wait. You just tell me when. And I think that's, that's our choice. I don't think we're willing ourselves through the brokenness. I think we have to be willing to go through the brokenness. Right? So if we want to be transformed into his image, we have to bravely walk into areas of brokenness. We have to wrestle with God, and we have to allow him to transform us from the inside out. That through this process, if we allow him to, we will no longer be defined by our past. We'll be defined by our destiny. Right? Because I think that's a lot of times what people are, are defined by. Well, if you knew this about me, you wouldn't accept me. If, if you knew this about me, you'd know that, that I'm not a good person, that I don't have good worth, or whatever the case may be. We're defined by our past, but we lack the ability to see our destiny. So this is the road, road less traveled. Like I said, very few people move beyond that step five. I see Christians and non-Christians alike in counseling, and a couple things that I observe is that they let things build up. Most people that come into my office come in crisis. They only come when they can't handle it anymore, and they, all the band-aids that they try to put on it don't work anymore. They only come when it is, is extreme. I see couples all the time, and it's only when they get to the point of, if this doesn't work, then it's divorce. But they lack the ability to have the courage to, along the way, as it was declining, to step in and say, no, no, we've got to do something different, only in the point of crisis. And I would say that is also a common pattern even with Christians. When they hit the crisis, they could have been taking some care of some stuff a while ago, but, but God has to force them into a place of conflict where they're going to have to make a choice. So... My encouragement is maybe let's not wait for crisis. Maybe let's step into this and, and press in where God is leading us because he's been nudging us along the way. And then finally he's like, hey, wake up. It's time. It's time to show me that you're going to give me your all. Um, people end up in my office because they have no hope. They say, I've tried everything. Nothing will work. Um, I'd say probably if I were to tell you what is the most common thing uh, that people struggle with across the board, I would say it's probably low self-worthiness. I could probably boil down the problem, that problem real fast to low self-worthiness. I don't care if it's marriage problems. I don't care if it's depression or anxiety. It, it usually gets down to a place of self-worth. Um, and it doesn't have to be this way. We don't, have to, we don't have to walk this path that most people walk. The common approach to life problems, and I see this in, in the church and out of the church, is that we are going to will our behaviors. We're going to just hunker down and we're going to say, 
I just need to stop smoking. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go cold turkey on this. I'm gonna go cold turkey on that, on pornography, on alcohol, whatever it may be. I'm just gonna will my behavior. That would be a common approach. And let me tell you, it most often doesn't work. The other common approach would be that I'm going to just will my thoughts. Uh, if I just stop thinking about it, if I just stop thinking about uh, that experience and that situation, and if I, if I just move that out of my mind, that'll save me. And most often, it doesn't. So we are just trying to constantly just will ourselves out of sin. And, and then here's the, here's, here's the big one. If I can just stop feeling that pain, then I'll be okay. Uh, I'll just stop caring about it. I won't, I won't care about the rejection. I won't care that it keeps happening. I just need to shut off my emotions. I have people come into my office and they're like, hey, just, just get, tell, me, tell me the solution here. How do I just get this anxiety to stop? That's what I need. I just need it to stop. And so we're just trying to will ourselves, not realizing what the real process is to, to going through our healing. And, and um, this might uh, bother some of you, but I'm going to uh, say that I think sometimes Christians are sometimes too dependent on the supernatural. They're just waiting and hoping and praying, God, just take this from me. Just take this anxiety from me. Take this depression from me. Take this, this person in my life. Just move them out. And, and, and what we're doing is we're voiding ourselves of any kind of responsibility. And I believe God works in multiple ways. Yes, he can, he can heal supernaturally. And some people experience that. And some people they say, no, 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 no. Walk with me because I need to show you some things. And, and so I think sometimes we void ourselves of responsibility. From a mental health perspective, I think that real transformation doesn't just happen by changing behaviors and, or thoughts, that we actually have to value and treat emotions, thoughts, and behaviors as three equal parts. Emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. Everybody's trying to control thoughts and behaviors. What we don't give a lot of value to is emotions. I think emotions are a way to point to some things in our life. I think they're good identifiers of what's happening inside us, but all we're just trying to do is numb this out. We figure out how to numb it out through alcohol or drugs or, or pornography or Facebook or whatever other kind of avoidant patterns we have. That is what our tendency is with emotions. We just don't want to feel it. And so, um, so we've got to value the emotions. Now, I want to share with you some things that I have observed and, and, and um, it's it's what I've observed for the people who actually move through this process of wholeness. Um, they're the people that um, they walk in humility, meaning that they realize they don't have all the answers and they humble themselves and submit themselves and say, God, you've got to show me something different. I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to learn. It's this concept of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. That the fixed mindset says, I have it all together. I, I know exactly what I think. And if you, uh, if you believe something different, you're wrong. Because this is the way it is. This is my reality. A growth mindset says, no, no, no. There might be a different perspective that I'm missing. And I'm willing to look at that. And consider it because it might give me some truth that I've been missing. I have couples come into my office all the time. And get this, we have two people with two different perspectives. The reality lies somewhere in the middle. 
But I had one couple, one person in that couple say, no, that's wrong. I'm right. And, and, and they've got this fixed mindset, but they can't grow because they're not willing to look at it because their pain is too great, and, and they're not willing to value their emotions. So the other thing that I've observed, this is the second thing I've observed for these people that move through this wholeness, is that they are willing to wrestle with their emotions. They're not just settled on, I'm angry, but they're willing to wrestle with their emotions with God and figure out what's behind this anger. First of all, they realize that they're feeling something. So they actually feel triggered. A button is pushed. Um, they, they feel a weightiness, a heaviness, whatever it is. But they first realize that they have an emotion. And then they get curious about that emotion. They get curious. Like, what's actually happening inside of me? Um, I feel angry. How come I feel angry? Wait a minute. Behind that anger, I actually feel rejection. Right? The, the anger is the front for my emotion. And some people just know I'm angry. It's wrong. I'm angry. No, no, no. I'm actually feeling rejected from that experience. And so the, the other thing is, is that when we become, become curious about these feelings, we realize that they're also tied to our thoughts and behaviors. So I feel rejected, which means that I think I'm a failure, which means that I withdraw from relationships. There's a strong connection here. Why am I feeling so lonely? Well, because you're not engaging in relationships. Why? Because you're rejected. It's all tied together, three and one. But we have to value our emotions. And the third thing that I notice about people who are, are moving towards wholeness is that they get curious and they get honest about their stories. Curiosity actually accepts there's a gap in our knowledge. Curiosity accepts that there is a gap in our knowledge. That's why we get curious. You can't, I'd love to, for all of you to become curious, but, but I can't get you there. But you've got to realize um, for, for you to get some change and breakthrough in some areas of your life, you're going to have to start getting curious that there is something you don't know. So they, when they get curious and they start um, getting honest about their stories, they revisit them the stories, they challenge them, they reality check them, they, they're just tugging and pulling at these stories, and here's the thing, they start to own their stories. They start to own their stories, that it is part of my life, it is how I got to here today. One thing that bugs me most, not most, one thing that really bugs me, I hate this term. It's fingernails on the chalkboard for me. And I've even heard it said from this stage, not from Pastor Jordan, but it just bothers me. And it's forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. I have real issue with that phrase. I believe in forgiveness absolutely 100%. But forgetting, at least in the way that I experience most people doing it, is I just need to push it away, push it away, push it away which means that I can't learn, which means that I lack knowledge. If, if I were to forget, then I'm likely to repeat the pattern. I've lacked wisdom if I forget. 
So maybe there is value in understanding my story and owning my story. Don't let it define me. Perhaps it it displays how Jesus has moved through me, which is why it's important for me to not forget. The Bible is has is story from front to back from Genesis to Revelation and it's all about Jesus and you in in right in right in Old Testament you hear about King David he's anointed with oil he's going to be king he's you know fights the giant and all these kind of things and get this the guy who is um, part of the lineage of Jesus he has an affair he kills people like he does some pretty rotten things and yet if we don't understand David as part of the story, we never get to Jesus. And so that's where I'm, I'm challenging you, that you have a story. And yeah, I understand that it's not pretty, but perhaps your story is being used to point back to Jesus and you've been ignoring it and not accepting it. So I think there's value in owning your story. I think when you don't own your story and you haven't really worked through it to the point where it can, you're, you, you found some peace and understanding with it, I think that it owns you. So I shared that one, that one story with you. Um, the only reason I'm able to share this is because I wrestled with it and I've been able to own it. Yeah, I understand I didn't give you tons of details. And in, in a more intimate setting, I might give you more details if I believe that it's going to help you increase your faith in understanding Jesus. Right? That, that, that's about the boundaries that Jordan talked about last week. I don't have to share every, with everybody all of my stuff, but, but I'm not afraid to share it if Jesus is calling me to share it. Um, I'm going to have the band come up. Uh, but I think we need to have, we, one of the things that I, I observed about Robin and Jordan over the last 10 years is that they're willing to go to the depths. You hear that in the preaching. You hear that in, in the conversations, that they're willing to go to wherever God is calling them. And when they need to go back to that brokenness, they go back there. Jordan shared last week or two weeks ago about the uh, self-righteous peacock, right? I mean, how do you preach from that if you're not willing to go back there and allow God to show you some things and say, okay, Jordan, it's time to go back here because we need to progress over here. He wasn't ready for it probably the years before, right? So that that is what I experience when I when I see Robin and Jordan is that that their roots go as deep as the tree is tall, right? That that that's that's what you're experiencing when you hear them preach is that they're willing to go to the depths, and I experience that time and time again with the people that are are, are part of my inner circle is that we're pushing and challenging each other, and we're willing to go into the brokenness whenever we need to in order to progress down this journey to wholeness and become more Christ-like. Um, God is real. I've experienced him. Maybe you haven't experienced him in that way, and I understand, and in, likely you won't experience him in, in the same way that I did. But I believe that he has something for you just like he has for me, and I believe that he's creating a, a, a path for you to know him more than you've known him so far. I believe that when we go in, when we allow ourselves to go into this place of brokenness, this is how revival starts. 
This is how revival starts because it becomes contagious. It's something that you can't put out. It's a fire you can't put out. When I went through that seminar, guess what? After I went through that seminar, I had family members flying out and we had two sisters, two brother-in-laws, my mom, we had friends, coworkers, people that we actually were paying to go through. Sounds crazy, $1,000 a pop. That's crazy, but you know what? It didn't matter because I experienced a freedom that I couldn't help but want somebody else to go through that freedom as well. And I wasn't gonna be stopped by money or finances or bank account or security or whatever it is because I found something, a truth in me that was uncontainable, that I had to share it with other people. And so I believe this revival starts with us being able to go to those broken places so that Jesus can shine his light through us and show himself and reveal to himself to us in a new way. This is the spark. This is the spark. We pray for this, we sing about it, but this is what it takes. And so my hope today is that you are able to see some of yourself along this path. And maybe it looks a little bit different for you. But if you really want to experience Jesus in a different way, you've got to allow him to go into those places. This is not um, a call for repentance. This is not a, a, a guilt thing. This is an opportunity for you to go deeper. I'm going to have Jordan lead us, um, and I want you to stand. Some of us, it's been a long time since we've experienced his love. Some, some of us maybe have never received that at all, and I just want to posture ourselves to be able to receive that love. And, and if, if you're at that place where you're willing to just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I need to start looking at? I want you to ponder that. But Jordan, Jordan's going to lead us in how we love. And I just want us to, to praise Jesus in this moment, allow him to reveal himself to us in a new way. Thanks for listening to the River House podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.